from TubeCityOnline.com. My name's Jason Toger. I am the executive director of uh, Tube City Community Media. I am also uh, a board member here at the Heritage Center. And I want to welcome all of you, especially those who maybe this is your first time here. I um, was wondering if we could get the uh, firefighters here to uh, introduce themselves. They're retired firefighters. And now tell us how many years you were in the fire service. Uh, Paul Wassel, I was 28 years. Joe Maddow, 38 years. Jim McGinty, uh, 29 years. Okay. Joe Astrid. How many years, George? 22 years. Uh, so let me say, Michelle did a great job with the story from the Daily News sort of setting the stage for you. But um, it, let me describe, first of all, sort of why what happened happened. And, and, and Michelle, I was wondering if we could get this, if we could stop the pictures here and we'll, might be a little bit easier for folks to if we sort of show them what was going on. So it, it, it's, for those of you who are a little bit younger than me, it's, it's hard to remember when Fifth Avenue, right there, if we could stop right there. There we go. Um, it's hard to remember when Fifth Avenue and McKeesport was full of stores on both sides all the way down. Um, but if you know what downtown Irwin looks like with the old buildings right up against each other in the very narrow street, that's very much what Fifth Avenue looked like from the river up to where City Hall is now. What you're looking at right now is the corner of Lyle Boulevard and Market Street. This right here where you see the Goodyear and the appliances sign, uh, that is where the check cashing place is now. This is still the state store. Um, this corner lot here is vacant. Um, this lot here is where the famous was. That's the building that sort of started this whole thing off. Um, that is now the uh, National Steelworkers Old Timers Foundation. I think before that it was the, uh, the new Elks Club because the old Elks Club, as we're going to talk about today, burned down in this big fire. So this building here that was the famous, Michelle, do we have a picture that we could bring up of that? That's okay. We're sort of improvising this. Here we go. Go back. Okay, here we go. So this building was built in 1926. Ironically, after another fire. Uh, there had been a department store there um, and it burned down in 1924-25 and they built this new one. Unfortunately, as these guys are going to tell you, the building was built out of wood and iron um, and then was remodeled over and over and over again. Um, one of the things they did, this used to have windows all the way up and down the front of it. It was about a five-story building. They put these metal tiles up over top of it to cover it up. Um, so you had this very old building that was, at the time, 50 years old, that was empty, that had been remodeled a bunch of times, and now was being torn down. And as uh, Michelle read in the article, they were disassembling, again, ironically, the water tank on the roof that once fed the sprinkler system. Um, so, of course, there was no water in the water tank. There was no water in the sprinkler system. And um, you kind of, unfortunately, had the, 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 the perfect uh, combination of events here. So... With that, I'm going to start asking some questions of our uh, firefighters. Who was working that day? Put your hands up. Okay, so Joe Matta was working that day. Mr. Wassel, you were called in? I was called in. Okay. I was off that day. You were off that day. Um, one of the things that, uh, uh, when I talked to these guys beforehand, one of the things they told me was a bunch of firefighters were laid off at the time. 
And I was, was, was Tom Balin, are you still here? Yeah, here it is. Were, were you one of the ones who was on the train? Okay. The city's burning down. Of course, we laughed when he told us that. We thought it was a joke. He, uh, we thought he only said that because we lost our jobs. But we, he elaborated and said that they called them on the radio, and they said there was a terrific fire in McKeesport, and it started at the famous building. So you were, you were coming back from downtown Pittsburgh That's on a train, correct. and the conductor says, McKeesport's burning down. That's what he told us. Okay. Uh, what station were you at at the time, uh, Paul? I was working on a number, I think it was number three. So we have four fire stations in the city at that time. Right. Okay. And, uh, I was off that day, but I got called in. I said I was off that day, then I got called in. And uh, as soon as I arrived there, I was told uh, to get a line and go to 6th Street Garage and protect the church that was located on uh, Market and 5th Avenue. So we spent a lot of time up there just hosing that church down to make sure it didn't get catch fire. Uh, Joe, where were you at at that point? I was working number one. You were at number one fire station? Yeah. Did he ask I was working at number one, and I, at that time, in the fire department, we worked eight-hour shifts, like from eight in the morning till four o'clock, and then from four to 12 and 12 to eight. And uh, what it was, you usually came in early, about 3.30 or so, 20 after 3, and you re uh, came in, changed your clothes, and then you would uh, relieve your uh, other firefighter there. So it uh, just so happened we came in, and uh, we sat down, changed our clothes, and we, were, had the news we always had a newspaper there from the Daily News, and we were looking at newspaper. And one of the uh, ironic things we always said was, uh, a nice day for a famous fire. Because it would be, uh, we were always worried about it because the famous, as you uh, somewhat aware of, they had uh, hardwood flooring in there and they were like 15, 18 foot ceilings between each floor. And was and, it you that told me they used to oil the and, floors and to keep they, the dirt down? Right. They would oil the floor and sweep it to keep the dust down and that. So we always thought, boy, if this ever goes, we're really going to have a fire, you know. And uh, so we were sitting there, and as we was looking at the newspaper, Fowler came running down. You're talking about uh, the, the chief Fowler. The fire chief, David yeah, Fowler. Okay. David Fowler, Fowler. He came running down, and he says, uh, the famous is on fire, and we all looked at each other and laughed and kept looking at the newspaper. He ran back up into his office, came running back down, grabbed, I don't know which one of the guys he grabbed, he grabbed him, pulled him out of front of the station, and he pointed towards the building, and you could see smoke coming out. He says, look, it's on fire, and we all just then jumped up, realized what, we jumped in our car, in the rigs, rather, and we went over and down Gibson Way there, which is uh, by the bridge, and turned on to Fifth Avenue by the Penn McKee Hotel. Now, when you, when you got there, uh, what was showing, smoke or flames? or Just what? smoke coming up. Okay. So Fowler, and uh, who was at that time that I remember was working, was um, 
Jesse Coleman, Don O'Toole, uh, myself, and uh, Dave Fowler, and uh, Pete Margolotti. And here, uh, they brought the trucks around the um, Fifth Avenue by the Pemmakee, and Jesse Coleman, Fowler, and someone else took an inch and a half and ran up the side of the building there, or the fire escape. By which you mean a fire hose, inch and a half yeah, wide right. fire hose, okay. And dragged it up to the top of the building. As they got to the top, then it really started going, something flew off the roof there, came down and landed on the inch and a half and cut it in cut, half. Cut the fire hose. Right. So then they came down and Fowler said, started seeing what was happening. There was like a downdraft starting and it was coming out the side of uh, the basement of the uh, first floor of the uh, building. Started coming out and he said nobody to go back up on the up on a fire. So escape. they were tearing down this building, so the windows were already broken out of it on the first floor, and right. they were cutting holes through the floors to drop the debris down. Right. So you kind of had a chimney there. Right. Okay. And then it, what was happening, it was actually a downdrafting coming down, and, that, and it was coming out. When it started coming out of the side here on Fifth, Ab on, uh, Fifth Avenue, and then he told everyone, you could start seeing smoke or something like that. And he said for nobody else to go back up on a building. So then uh, I went up after that, uh, dragging some hose off and that. I went up on top of the Penn McKee Hotel and I believe uh, Willie Astrab was up there and uh, Castro and I, and we hoisted a two and a half up there, a couple lines up to the top to try of the building. To spray on top of top the... Of the building there. So Paul, you were at station number three, which was where then? Maybe grab that microphone there. That was on Evans Avenue. That was, as was, that was what's now the ambulance garage. Right. Okay. Um, so they called all, there were four fire stations. There was the Grandview Station, there was the Evans Avenue Station. And East End. And the East End Fire yeah. Station and the downtown fire station, which is still there on Lyle right. Boulevard. Right. Um, and they called all you guys into downtown. Right. Okay. When did they start calling guys in who were off that day? Uh, it was pretty quick. In fact, they had company in my house, and uh, I could see the smoke coming, and I knew, you know, it's only a matter of time we get called. So I think I left before I got called. Okay. And like I said, when I arrived downtown, uh, first thing I was told was get a line, go get a line, get up on a Sixth Street garage and protect that church. So that, that was my... That's the thought. church that is now, I think, the Judah Fellowship, but it was the Emmanuel Presbyterian yeah, Church right, on the corner. Right. Okay. Um, Jim, you were off that day, I think? Uh, yes, it was my crew that uh, had the fire. And, uh, I was off, and uh, I heard of the fire, and I went down. By the time I got there, the fire had spread up to uh, 9th and Jenny Lynn. And the chief sent me with poor, I'm always positive, it was poor view volunteer fire company struck. We went up there and caught a line and uh, went and put the house out. So, so, the, so what was happening then was the stuff was coming off the roof of this building, getting Correct. picked up in the air and then been carried by the wind. And now you had a fire at the corner of 9th and Jenny Lynn Street, which is four or five blocks, blocks away. Blocks away, correct. Okay. So when did the neighboring building start to catch on fire then? 
Well, it probably only took me 15, 20 minutes to get down there, and okay. by that time they were burning. Pa Paul and Joe, when did uh, the, the Elks, which was next door, and the when did those buildings start to get? Kadars was across the street? Well, like I said, I was up on top of the Penn McKee Hotel, mm -hmm. so I couldn't tell you on that, okay. because there I was just, uh, we were just having line uh, pouring water on the building from where we were at. And uh, like I say, the, there's a, like a wall going around it about almost three feet high. And I know I was laying down holding the hose there because the intense heat was coming our, I mean, we was getting some of the heat our way, but thank God the fire didn't come our way. You know, the, everything was blowing towards town. So that's where I spent most of my day was and night was there up on the Pemmiki roof there. Michelle, I wonder if we could get one of the overhead uh, aerial pictures up here to show you. Well, somebody can find Michelle. We'll uh, get one of the overhead uh, pictures up there. Paul, where where were you at, at this point? I was still on a garage. I, I was you were on the Sixth Avenue garage, right? And uh, I really couldn't see over there because all that smoke was blowing over toward our area. So we just more or less constant, you know, traded on the church over there okay. to keep that up there. I think there was two of us up there. We spent about eight hours there. So Eight hours? Yeah. Okay, beginning at about 4 o'clock. Yeah, midnight. right. Okay. Tom, I know you didn't really want to talk. You're very reluctant because you were off that day, but... You ended up getting off the train and helping. Grab the microphone by you and. <clears throat> Sorry. Well, as I had mentioned before, we came back from Pittsburgh. There was six firefighters, I believe, and uh, no, altogether there was probably eight firefighters on a train. And we come back, and naturally we understood what was happening before we got into the city. And as soon as we got off the train, we didn't have any problem finding the fire. <laughs> so we all walked up to the area of uh, the famous, and I remember that uh, my, I didn't have any safety equipment to wear, but I remember I started pulling hose. There was a big problem with the, as you can see in this photograph that we have up now, you can see all the hose on the ground. In fact, and that's Chief Fowler there. And I remember I was pulling hose up Fifth Avenue towards the famous, to this area where he's standing now. I remember doing that. And not just me, uh, many people. In fact, a lot of people, who, some of the people who uh, volunteered or even in the crowd that went down towards Water Street and helped to drag hose up towards the fire scene. And uh, essentially the Debris started to come out of the top of the building, and as, as Joe mentioned, it got to be so bad, you had to get away from the building. And we were told to get away from the building, get out of the area, because we didn't have any safety equipment. You were still in your street clothes, because you That's had just correct. come from Pittsburgh. That's correct. Okay. And the, uh, one of the, uh, I'm not sure who it was, but they said, we need men on Locust Street. In the 1000 block of Locust Street, the houses are starting to burn on the 1000 block of Locust Street. So uh, I guess me and, uh, I, me and I believe Ron Libertor was one of the fellows with me, and I can't remember who else was up there. We got in a police car. That's how they took us up there. And essentially, and in fact, that picture's on a script up there too. I think it's, 
where it shows Locust Street. There it is. There's Locust Street. And uh, that's a retired firefighter on the far left-hand corner there, Randy Dry. He was also off. He wasn't working, but he was there. He volunteered his help to try to help the firefighters in that area. So the worry was that these houses were starting to catch. This is, this is like almost 10 blocks left, away. Yeah are starting to catch fire now. Yeah, there's about two or three houses on the left side of that photo where they're catching fire, the roofs were catching fire. And what we did, we assumed the houses were gonna go because there wasn't much of a, any fire department there to really manage the fire. Because and the fire department was all down trying to take care of this big fire downtown. That's correct, okay. yeah. It was just, just wasn't enough manpower or equipment available. And what we did, we carrying furniture and belongings out of the homes and putting them on the street to keep them from becoming consumed by the fire. Michelle, I wonder if we could go back to the one of the overhead aerial shots. Okay, we'll get there. As you can see, we've got a lot of pictures. So let's go, stop right there, go back. So you can see, the sort of the size of that building took up that whole block there between uh, Market Street and the Penn McKee Hotel, which is still there. Now, if you want to keep going forward, thank you. Okay, so there we go. Okay, so yeah, go back one. Thank you. Okay. So within a matter of minutes, you've got this building is on fire. Now the buildings across the street, across Market Street, are on fire. And this is the uh, what was the Memorial Theater, but at the time was called the McKee Cinema, mm -hmm. is also on fire at that point. You guys want to pick it up from there, Joe or uh, Paul? Like I said, uh, I was the whole time I was just up on the roof there. I, I don't I don't know what was happening. I was just oh, okay. pouring okay. water on the roof. I was up there on uh, 9th and uh, Jenny Lynn fire uh, there. And, uh, as far as what was going on down there, I really didn't know. What, what was the cooperation from the volunteer departments? Because uh, one of the things that Michelle pointed out was that um, 40 different communities, volunteer fire departments were involved here. Well, they were very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think it still would have been burning. <laughs> <laughs> And at the time, I think there's the Keysport probably had 60, 70 firefighters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're today, I think you only have 20. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How far away did they come in from? I think one of you guys told me that uh, Wilkinsburg and Pittsburgh sent firemen. I think there was a 100 foot ladder truck come in from Pittsburgh. Now, I don't know whether they used it or not, but it was down on the boulevard. And uh, 
We had a, quite a few ladder trucks here. Tell us a little bit about the weather, because Michelle, when she read the story from the Daily News, she talked a little bit about how bad the winds were, as mentioned in that story, but how, what was the weather like, the winds like? Well, like I said, it was a sunny day, and that it was a little humid in that, and uh, I th think that's what happened. Like you said, the fire was going up, and after a while, it just went to a downdraft, and then you, as on some of the other photos you saw, it just, the fire went from the building across the four-lane uh, road of uh, Market, Market Street. Street. And uh, the, actually saved the town to some extent was a memorial theater because of that brick uh, wall it had. Michelle, can we go back thing. a couple pictures? Thank you. Right there. Stop. Thank you. So there is, is the side of the memorial theater. Yeah, it was going this, this way here. And... From what I understand, the wall there really saved the town. Although, from what I understand, I knew Kadar's uh, on the corner there. Leonard worked there at Kadar's, and he told me people were in the building there standing watching it. And then finally, uh, he felt it was getting too hot, and he asked everyone to get out, and it was a matter of like five, seven, eight minutes. The place just ignited, just caught on fire. The heat was so intense. And then also there was a card shop, I think, next to it, too, and a couple other the, uh, meat store and that. But that, that was it. And then they was worried about the pen, I mean, the Rig, Riggs's drug store. That's right here. Right. But it didn't make it that far. You, on this is one where of Natalie's the, store right. is now, but Natalie's store was, I think, over here and bar was one of the stores that burned. Yeah. Well, you had Riggs is there, and you had Dad and Lad's uh, men's store and the Union Clothing on the corner there. And uh, here, uh, that caught on fire. Like I said, famous just spontaneously caught on fire. And that, but on one of the pictures you have there, you could see how intense the fire was and heat that ignited that building right away. Michelle, can we move through the pictures there? Okay, now this is sort of the aftermath. I guess yeah. the next morning you see the wreckage right. of what the famous looked like and took up that whole block on that side of the Penn McKee, and some of you guys were up on the roof there. That was another thing okay. about... So stop here. Right. Go back one. There we go. So there's the front of the Memorial Theater, what was then called the McKee Cinemas. Right. There's the Farmer's Pride you were talking about. So the, all these, there were buildings all the way here, and all of those buildings were occupied, and they were all gutted by the fire. Yeah, you had a, uh, next to Farmer's Pride, I believe, was a card shop, and then uh, the Kadar's. No, the Coney Grill's on the other side. Right there. I'm saying on this side, it's burned out. There was a card shop here, and then Kadar's on a corner here, and that. How, how, how long did you guys, when did you guys get a break, I guess would be my first question. I don't, I don't remember. up there. I, I mean, you were talking about eight-hour shifts, but uh, when, when did you guys uh, get some sleep? Uh, I think it was the, pretty close to morning before I left. Yeah. Because uh, after that, we had to go down and help, you know, straighten some things out with the equipment and everything. And then uh, 
I think we were released around four in the morning or five in the morning or something like that. And things were still burning up. Things were still burning up until about midnight, is my understanding. Who? One, one thing it was but that year in '76, what we had just got was two new pumpers and a la and a scope. So that was really uh, newer equipment that we only newer equipment that we had at that time. So we were very fortunate to have those uh, vehicles. Fire, firefighting is still a, a dangerous job, but um, you, I was asking some of you guys before we started what some of the equipment you had, what was the state of the art in 1976. And, and one of the things, you know, every fireman now has a radio. Did you guys have portable radios? No. Okay. Uh, the air packs, every firefighter now carries a, carries a bottled air. Well... We had air packs, but uh, we had to use them limited because we didn't have any way of refilling them. And uh, what we always did was if we, air, if we used those tanks, and we only had so many tanks, spare tanks on top of it, we had to take them to Glassport to uh, uh, the Get copper well there, and uh, they would uh, fill them up for us. Someone told me a story that Chief Fowler used to say that if he, he heard the when the air tank empties out, the, their bell rings. Yeah. And every time he heard that bell ring, he was, what did he say? Stop using those tanks. <laughs> yeah, that was. This was tested in the station. I think it was. Uh, okay. No, no, that was more and less when we were, when we would get our gear on in, at the station, oh, okay. and sometimes we'd be You'd trying it on, out. checking it out. And you had to make sure the tank was uh, yeah. filled, so you had to turn it on and then turn it off. And then as the air depleted from the uh, unit, you would hear the, the bell go bell off. <laughs> but no portable radios. You had bunker coats yeah. and helmets and fire. How did you keep in contact with each other if you were working at a fire? Just hollering? Yeah. That's it. Who else was helping in terms of like the Salvation Army? Did they come out and oh, yeah. feed oh, yeah. you guys? They or? Always, they They're always, always there. there. Every fire we have, yeah. they all, even I think today they come out. Whether it was They're cold, over. hot, they'd have coffee, iced tea, stuff, donuts. I, I read a story somewhere, it might have been in the Daily News, that uh, the nuns from St. Mary's uh, came out and brought cold water to firemen. Did you, had you heard that story too, or when any of you? I wasn't involved in that okay. area, so I couldn't tell you. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, okay. There was, there was a lot of help there. Yeah. We had a lot of help down there, a lot of people helping the firefighters out. And that, so we appreciated the time. I know when I was up on 6th Street, somebody brought up some water to us because we were up there so long, you know. Even though we did have water, but, <laughs> you know, it was nice of them. I'm going to take a pause for a second here and, and change subjects, and we're going to get back to this fire. Why did you guys go into the fire service in the first place? I'll start with Paul, and we'll just go around. Hmm. That's a good question. I asked my <laughs> wife. <on. laughs> it was, uh, I used to work at Mesta, and uh, it was a night turn. So I had a habit of leaving work and meet my uncle at the Jerome Grill in the morning. He used to work at National, too. So we were sitting there having a beer, and I saw his fire truck flying by. And I says, hey, I'd like to have a job like that. You know, I said, how did I get that job? He says, well, he said, I heard that there's a test. He says, why don't you go down to city and you know, inquire about it? And he says, I think I heard about a test coming up. I said, okay. So I went down, and 
took the test. There's a good, good bit of people there taking that test. So I scored in the top 10, and then I got hired. And how, how long again were you in the fire service? Uh, 28 years. Joe, how, come, how did you get in the fire service? Well, um, when I was in the Navy, I was on ships, so every time we'd come into port, you'd either go to uh, firefighting school and that. You'd have to go to school to learn, uh, you know, get uh, re-educated on your fire technique because of the ship. And I always liked it. And then I, when I came home from the service, I uh, got a chance. <clears throat> I was working at National 2. And as I worked, <clears throat> excuse me, as I worked on na in National 2, um, <clears throat> here uh, they were given a test out on the fire department, and fire department at that time, you worked 20 years, you could take your pension. And I thought, wow, here I'll go take a test for the fire department and work 20 years instead of working until I was 65 on a fire department. <laughs> I mean, at the mill, well, I worked till I was 65 on a fire department. But uh, here anyways, I thought I'd take a test and I went on there and my neighbor down from me was Frank Gala, which uh, he was a deputy on the fire department. And I was talking to him and he says, yeah, they're giving a test. And I took the test and got hired under Elko it was at the time. Well, I started out out of high school. I went to the military and put nine years in Got out, got a job at First Sterling. Worked there a little over two years. They closed the place down. The bar I loafed at, seemed like beer comes in here. <laughs> <laughs> two of the firemen from number three station, uh, Moon Dovis and uh, Bill Loy, bless his soul, he's passed away, but uh, they come in there after work all the time. What pushed the smoke down, you know? They said they were hiring, and they said to uh, go and take the test in that, you know. So I went and took the test, and they give servicemen a certain number of points to help, you know. And uh, I got hired, so. Will has a hard time hearing. Okay. You know, no, I, I can't hear very good. Okay. Tom, how come you got in the fire service? You can go ahead and move that microphone closer yeah. to you if you want. Well, um, I worked, at the time I was working at Westinghouse in Forest Hills. And Westinghouse was having a lot of budget problems and it seemed like every couple of months they were threatening to eliminate my job or the department that I worked in. So after working there for a couple of years, I saw in the paper where the, the Keystone Fire Department had signed a new contract with the union, and I read in the Daily News. And I started to read the wages okay, that they were you. going to make, and I started to read about the benefits that they had. They had hospitalization for themselves and their families. Meantime, I had two little babies. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get on a fire department. There's good <laughs> benefits on a fire department. So I took the civil service test, and I was hired in 71. And I lost my job twice by 76. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought there was going to be job security. Sounds, sounds like nothing really changes, does it? Well, it, it lasted. I was on a job for 37 years eventually.
Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation. Since 1976, the foundation has addressed key concerns that affect our good health, as well as our education, social needs, recreation, safety, and security. The foundation partners with UPMC McKeesport and other agencies to eliminate barriers to all services for all residents of the Mon Valley. Visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. Let's get back to this because once the flames were out, the job wasn't done. Some of you guys told me you were pumping water out of basements. And, and somebody told me, what, six feet of water was in the basement of that memorial theater? So how long did that cleanup uh, effort go? About three, four days. Three, four days of cleanup. was wondering if we have any questions from the audience or if anybody has any stories that they remember. Were any of you have a house that, uh, like they say on Price is Right, come on down. greatest camaraderie of people I've ever been with. I mean, these guys were great. Everybody that was there was fantastic. Salvation Army was great. I mean, it was just the greatest thing I on the face of the earth. But And that was Pleasant Hills Fire Company you were yes, with? Sir. And what's your name? Robert Thompson. Are you still in the fire service? No. Okay. No, sir, I am not. Okay. Who else maybe uh, had a business or a house that, uh, anybody? Have a house in your neighborhood maybe that caught fire? Yeah, come on up and make a comment. Uh, I worked at National Tube that day. We left at 3 o'clock. I drove up past the famous, and uh, everything was calm, 3.15. I live in North Huntington. Went home and out in the woods was cutting some trees. The neighbor come by and he said, I'm surprised you aren't in McKeesport. I said, why? And he says, look, and we could see the fire. If you look at the article, it says a resident from North Huntington reported embers in his backyard. That was me. <laughs> are, are you going to be autographing the newspapers afterwards? Okay. Okay. Who, uh, yeah. I don't know how long this cord will stretch, but we'll. Okay. Okay. I worked at Verizon, and we're on Market Street, and we had our gas pumps there. And I worked for the construction department, and the boss came to me and said, Go get a car and drive. The, they're going to move all the trucks to the Eden Park garage because it was all all the way up. The, some of the sparks in that were all the way up by St. Peter's. So I said, I'm not certified to drive a company car. He said, you are now. <laughs> <laughs> so I takes and I followed them out. We went out. They still had the bridge over there. We went to Eden Park. That's where our other, other garage was. 
and then I follow them and I bring them back and then they take some more of the construction because the construction, all the construction uh, trucks were there and we took them all out because they said one of those sparks come up there and hits that gas pumps, we were all going to go. So they made us evacuate the building then too. And my brother was out there, so I went looking for, <laughs> for him when I come back. And when I got home, just the little sparks that were flying, my whole top had holes in. That's how bad the fire was, you know. How bad was it? Who remembers the smoke? How bad was the smoke? Where could you see it from? Yeah, from North Huntington, you could see it. Who, who else? Who else remembers watching it? Oh. Like I said, come on, like I say on Price is Right, come on down. What's your name? What's your name? Dave Palsy. Uh, it happened on my 21st birthday. I worked at Irvin Works. I left Irvin Works at 3 o'clock. Driving out at 837 because I was dating a girl in White Oak. I belonged to DeBoseburg number one fire company at the time, and also White Oak Rescue. So I'm going out where the yacht meets the the Mon. See a little bit of smoke. I get to Vermont Avenue in White Oak. My police radio, fire radio, was at my girlfriend's. I've been dating for a year. I said, what's going on? Well, DeVosburg just got punched out. They're going down to the famous. And I said, see ya. I'm going. I turn up gear in a trunk and they're like, says, your parents are coming over to take you out for your 21st birthday. I said, I'm going to the fire. You know? <laughs> so, I get on the telephone, and I call, and my parents aren't there. They're already left, and my dad, if he was coming there, you better be there. So he drove the White Oak to pick me up, and I'm saying, I want to go this far. I want to go this far, you know? My 21st birthday, and the city of McKeesport's burning down, and all the other guys are lined up on the fire trucks going to the city. I go to Monroeville to go out to the smorgasbord because my dad liked to eat and get his money's worth. So after we eat, he says, oh, let's go to a movie. I said, I'm going to fire, you know. So, nah, I'm not going. I said, well, we'll go to the movie another day. So long story short now, I go back to White Oak, and there's a meeting at White Oak Rescue. And I go over to the meeting with my girlfriend at the time. That's where we met. As soon as I walk into the building, the ambulances are gone. The rescue truck's in a garage underneath. And they come over to the radio. Hey, we need some CD bottles down at the oxygen scene. They got a triage area. I said, later. And I jumped in the rescue, and I went down to the fire scene. Dropped off the oxygen bottles. Now I run back to the hospital. I got to pick up Mr. Biggie and two nurses to set up the triage down there, wherever it was. I went back through and dropped them off on La Boulevard. I can't remember where. But uh, everywhere you look, now this is like 7 8 o'clock at night because I already went to Monroeville and back. And everywhere you looked, there was a hose across the street. Everywhere. And I'm weaving down an old rescue. It was a. Chevy van that uh, was donated by Bell Telephone, I believe. And uh, there was fire equipment and people everywhere. But uh, that was the cleanest fire that I ever went to. Never got my hands dirty because all I did was drive a rescue.
You know, most people just have candles. They don't burn the whole town down, but thank you very much. <laughs> who, who else? This is one of the things we were hoping was that people would come up here and, and tell their stories too, and we get the firefighters and the, Bob, tell people your name. I'm Bob Baum from uh, McKeesport, now live in Elizabeth Township. At that time, our office, I'm not advertising, but it was Wilson Baum Agency at the time. I worked at my dad's office. I was 40 years old, and it was across the YMCA, and I heard about, about the famous fire. So I decided that I would walk down there and, and watch it. Well, that was probably in the beginning of the fire, so I could get closer. A friend of mine, Thad Merriman, that owned the canopy at the time. I went in his store, because everything was across the street going on, and he said, come on up on the roof. So we went up on the roof of the canopy, and we had literally a bird's eye view of watching the famous and everything else that was beginning to burn 33 places throughout the town. Could not you know, believe what I was seeing. And I said to Thad, I, I don't know if we ought to stay here or not. If the wind shifts, we're going to be involved. But it never did, and we stayed for a while. But it was, it was amazing to me. The thing that, um, I don't remember if the Daily News had it in there or not, but from what I was told, the fire, as it said, started on the roof of the famous. They were cutting the water tanks for the air conditioning system, getting ready, as you heard, to uh, demolish the building. A fellow named Woe Rankin, who has since passed on, a contractor was up there doing this with his acetylene. Uh, the uh, torches and, and that's what caught the roof on fire and then I guess the rest is history as as we've heard so I just thought I would tell you my little experience at that time I was 40 years old and uh, it's like it happened yesterday it, it it's indelible in my mind it was so amazing what was going on thank you Bob and uh, he's not here to sell fire insurance policies either I sure I asked him Come on over here. I, I don't have a story about oh, this. Oh, okay, go ahead. But just a question. Yeah. I'd like all these gentlemen to suggest uh, hindsight's great for finding things that can be solved. Can you think of anything that if it had been different, this fire wouldn't have been the major conflagration that it was? That's a good question. Let's start with Paul. You want to start? Well, that's, that's pretty hard to say because if you're working on a building, you can't predict what's going to happen to the building when they're uh, working on it. And uh, you can't predict the weather either with the wind blowing and it just everything was against us. So. Was there a permitting uh, uh, situation or something that using the... Well, one thing I definitely see now, and I think Chief Samantha was here, but I think one thing you see now with demolition is a lot of times they have a firefighter there when yeah. they're yeah, it would have been a good idea to have yeah. some hose up there if they were using uh, them torches. Right. So would that be a matter of a, a city a zoning permit for the demolition? I, I, I sort of think so. Yeah, I think it would be up to the city, get a permit. And they could probably use a hydrant there and take the hose right. up there with them, you know? Well, yeah. I think uh, generally today uh, it's a lot different. I know when you... Uh, cutting anything, but I think from what I understood, there was a hole going all the way down to the basement there, 
they had gutted the inside of the building there. And that's what really happened. The sparks went down to the like basement area. And like I said, prior to this, that building there, that was MISCO. Uh, and, that, and they had everything in the basement. There was a, supposedly a lot of tires down there. And that's what really, I think, really generated this whole thing with the black smoke. I mean, everything else burning would have done it too. Uh, don't get me wrong there, but I think that's what really uh, energized that fire to go where it was. And it was the type of day, it was a hot day and that, and, um, and, and it was windy. And uh, like I said, in right there, you could see how it just whirled across the uh, Market Street. And that, it was just one of those uh, incidences that just happened like that. But uh, generally speaking, uh, when you cut anything, uh, you have uh, some type of uh, water or something with you when you're cutting down. But when that was all tore up and everything, not saying what was in the middle of the building, how it was tore out in a hole that they had, how everything could have just, you know, been a mess there. So I guess, yeah, better regulations on that part of it. But uh, then it was, uh, we didn't know what was really going on in the building, to tell you the truth either. We just heard that he was, renov Newman was renovating the building there, and they were going to put up like a couple store fronts, I mean stores inside it and that. Almost like uh, if you remember the one in Pittsburgh, Jenkins RK type thing. That's what I heard. There was also one in south, uh, uh, south side. One of the things, yeah, we were talking when we were talking before um, on the south side of Pittsburgh uh, at the end of, I believe, the Birmingham Bridge. There, um, it used to be Goodwill Industries of Pittsburgh, and now I think it's a condominium. It's called the Bricks with an X, right on Carson Street. There, that building was very similar, although much bigger, in construction to this building in, in McKeesport before. This building had the metal tiles, and actually with this fire, you can see the old windows popping through as the, somebody, one of you guys told me that the metal tiles were actually heating up and they were flying off as they expanded. They were popping and flying into the street, so. Uh-oh.
you guys weren't listening to the radio at the time. <laughs> you had other things on your mind. Let me ask you a question, and I'm not trying to bring a sensitive topic up, but it was in one of the newspaper stories there. Um, how was the cooperation between the city and the volunteers? Because there was some, one of the councilmen said that, you know, they got good cooperation from the surrounding communities, and that I, I think the quote was that um, maybe that maybe that'll teach some people in the city to stop talking about the people in the surrounding communities. Was it, I mean, was there? As far as I know, there was, as far, far as I know, there was no problem there, you know yeah. what I mean, as far as that, that goes. Uh, I know one thing, uh, they were dispatching the different uh, fire companies to different areas. Yeah. Like Strifflers had, I think, one of the fire companies right there, I don't know which one, White Oak Rainbow or whatever, hosing down his uh, roof because it shows on there that his roof was starting to get uh, heat up. But I know one fact on there was I was an Elks member. Anybody belong to the Elks in McKeesbourne? Well, at that time, prior to this, about a month or so before that, two months before that, what happened was uh, Frank Wesco was the keeper, uh, like a janitor or that. He kept maintenance guy at the Elks building there. And we were at a meeting, and here he was bringing up a payment of uh, uh, funds and here he had paid the insurance on the building. And there was a little discussion there, why are we paying so much money insurance on the building? And I think they wound up with a million dollars for the building when it was done, two months later. What? It was a beautiful building. Yeah. One of the things that, a um, little bit of McKeesport trivia for you, and it's just about 3 o'clock, so we don't want to keep you too long. Um, so this is Strifflers here on Market Street. And you'll see that the building in 1976 was all painted solid white all the way around. If you go to that building now, you see it's mostly brick with a little bits of white showing through. I was told, and I don't think I see Sue Ann Striffler here, but uh, I was told by her dad that the reason he, he, the, 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 the heat from the fire was so hot that it was peeling the paint, melting the paint off the building. And by the time it got done, um, Mr. Striffler, who has passed away now, said he liked the effect so much, he just left it go like that. He had him take the rest of the paint off. And in fact, when they did some work on the building uh, years later, he had him imitate <laughs> the effect of the peeled off paint because he liked the way it looked on that building. But yeah, and you can see the roof of Striffler's there starting to smoke because that fire is getting so hot. Anybody else? Oh, come on down. Okay. Can you, yeah, take the wireless there? I was with White Oak number one when we first got the call. I had just gotten home from work, and we were walking into the station, and my brother went, what's all that smoke from? So I had no idea, and uh, it wasn't three minutes later, but our whistle blew. And Bonnie Arthur called us and said that they needed our ladder truck to come down to Lyle and Market and meet Chief Fowler. So there was nine of us on the ladder truck as we came down Lyle Boulevard. When we pulled up to Lyle Boulevard, that one piece of the picture that was there that had the fire blowing across Market Street, um, right, so go back. Right there. We had just pulled up to Chief Fowler, 
6th Avenue and uh, or 6th Street, go up to 6th and Market and protect the church on the corner. And we did. We sat there with our lives our, for 13 hours pumping water onto the roof of that church to uh, protect the church. There were, I think, 14 other engines and Rainbow Telesports that were on that corner also. Uh, we did have some water problems. We, uh, we needed another engine, but Wedwick's engine was never sent down there only because we kept the crew in the borough because we had no idea what else was going to go on. But uh, yeah, we were there at 6th and Market for over 13 hours. Yeah, from what I understood too, you know, the church there, the stained glass windows were starting to bow a little bit because of the heat. And I think today when you go past there, you'll see they put that glass shielding over there. Well, that's, this is West Mifflin's pumper, but yeah, it's one of those ladder stuff pumpers. But that's the, that's the Emmanuel Church, but now I believe it's Utah Fellowship. Okay, now I, I was on a, a member of Rainbow Fire Company, uh, actually the day of the fire, known uh, by the name of Dave Cove, and I were having a meeting at the fire hall for a fundraiser. And Dave said to me, you better get your fire gear I was in a double-knit suit. <laughs> so I grabbed the helmet, which I still have, and a fire coat, and put it inside the truck. Dave and I got up in front of the truck, because that's, that's what we were going to do. Five, less than five minutes later, they put the all call on for getting help. We waited about a minute, and I think it was Greg Hawley who showed up. He jumped on the back of the truck, and Dave and I and Greg, I think it was Greg, down and we parked, they put us right in front of Strickland. And Mr. Strickland came out, and we're setting the teleport up, setting the line. Mr. Strickland came out and said, Joe, is there anything you can do to help me? My roof's on fire. So I pulled Boozer line off the side of the truck. Dave said, one of his guys, is there anything using garden hose? So they get up to the top of the building, they're hosing down the building, and they Side door through the front door of the building, the water came down like a waterfall out onto the street. But uh, they were able to save the building. Fair. But the uh, double knit suit didn't make it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of around me. After the after it was slowed down a little bit, my people came down and took all of Mr. Strickland's vehicles up to our funeral and washed the seven because we both had two funerals the next day because he needed his cars to because they were. Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation, celebrating 36 years of supporting community health programs and services for you and your family. The foundation works with UPMC McKeesport as well as through the Mon River Fleet Partnerships in Braddock, Clareton, Duquesne, and McKeesport. If you would like to make a donation to the McKeesport Hospital Foundation or find out more about it, visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. One thing to keep in mind is that um, the, the aftermath 
um, of this fire. They estimated the damage was $6 million, I believe. If you did that in today's money, it would be about $21 million. Um, the city of McKeesport, uh, obviously this was the biggest disaster that ever hit the city. Um, the city of McKeesport asked the uh, state of Pennsylvania for help and was told no, um, that they were on their own for this. Uh, so a lot of the businesses, this is the Market Street School, I believe, which was uh, right across the street from uh, where Strifflers is now. So this is Market Street. And the Elks. And the Elks, you can see, is... Right there. Right there behind all that smoke. Um, so this was, this whole block here between 5th and 6th Street was completely uh, wiped out. Um, there, there was really not too much help. A couple of businesses relocated, Natalie's relocated, uh, Kadar's, which was um, opposite corner from the state store, they relocated. Um, in fact, I think they told me that they were back in business within uh, a couple of days. But... Um, you know, this was, a, this was a major financial loss uh, to these businesses. It was a major financial loss to the city, and there was no FEMA or anything else coming in to, to help. Uh, the, the city and the taxpayers were on their own. Anybody else? Thank you. Uh, can got anyone Oops. relate any of the details in salvaging and saving the elk statue? I remember seeing after the fire, it was placed on a roof in Emily. Uh, does anyone know anything about who saved it now? You were an elk, weren't you? Um, well, they, they uh, Cliff Fliggle was the secretary treasurer of the Elks at that time, which he was a long time uh, officer there. Uh, they refurbished the uh, the clock, they had a, a grandfather clock there, a big one, and then they put the uh, elk on the, they built the, uh, bought the corner lot where the famous was, and they put a building up there, and then they had a big glass enclosure, and they had the elk up there, and they had the clock there and a couple other things there that they were able to salvage from the elk's building. But then they went and... Uh, uh, they went and joined with Pittsburgh Elks after that. What happened to the elk, I, uh, I don't know. I, I remember the clock was in that Pittsburgh or uh, off a of, uh, lodge on Buttermilk Hollow Road there where the old A&P used to be. And uh, what, that was Elks uh, Pittsburgh Lodge. They took that building and then built uh, their lodge there. But uh, they merged with, uh, one th I, th I believe, 136 was the Elks. They merged with Pittsburgh's uh, lodge. And what happened to the Elk, I don't know on that. But I know we had it for a while at that building there. But when they uh, closed the Elks and McKeesport, I don't know what happened after that. Yeah, I believe all the photos that we have are photos from the Daily News. I was looking to see if there was a photo of the old Elks Temple. Some people will remember, some people won't, that was on Market Street. Um, but I don't think we have a photo just of that. 
Well, if you remember, the Elks building also housed the WMCK radio station. And that. Hi, I'm a mother in the fire department at that time, but I can give a little personal experience what we had. At that time, we could live on Romine Avenue. And if you're familiar with Encode, the Rome Street Bridge, before you made the turn, there was a house directly in front of you. We lived there. And at that time, that day, it was very hot, and it was a very windy day. We were on our front porch. And we had a bird's eye view to downtown. We used to walk across the bridge to downtown all the time. And um, my little nieces and nephews were there, and we saw the huge plumes of smoke before you even heard the, the sirens or anything else. And I said, we started screaming, something's big happening down there. So we grabbed, so let's go down field. We grabbed the camera, and we went down and took a look, and I don't know where my pictures are, but it was incredible. And then you, and we were walking across the bridge, you heard all the noise, the sirens and the whistles, and everything, and, and it's, we had a bird's eye view of it as it just started, and the, the, the black smoke was incredible. And we went down there, and it was incredible. And, and the thing we kept thinking about was the wind. Is it going to take it across the river and start uh, burning some of the other houses? Because it was so windy, you could feel it, and you could feel those embers just blowing all over the place. They were everywhere, and that was just just a personal experience that we had. Um, I was a reporter for the Daily Herald in Monongahela. I was 22 years old, but I lived up by Butler's Golf Course with my parents, and I came home from work, and my dad had a scanner, and I heard that McKeesport was on fire, so I called my boss. He came down and picked me up, and we came down and covered the fire. And I am not familiar with any of the intricacies, but if there was any dissension between the volunteers and the uh, McKeesport firefighters, I sure didn't see it. All I saw was a bunch of really dedicated fire people working to save people's homes and businesses. So, uh, Salute to y'all. Nobody's mentioned um, firestorm phenomena. Um, I'm hearing a lot about the winds. 
moment they occur in this fire. Well, you could say it's a draft. Somebody has a my name, my name's Tim Martin. I was the reporter for the Daily News that day um, with Dr. Kevin Ryan, my colleague, who's uh, had the good sense to get out of the newspaper business. Um, <laughs> uh, Dave Fowler gave me that quote. I quoted Dave Fowler as saying, this was a firestorm, and I always thought it was hyperbole, but I used it anyhow in the story. And I was covering city council at that, at that time. I, I actually wasn't the city council reporter, but it's a long story. But uh, Kevin was on number 10T at Yawkegany Country Club with uh, Zoran Popovich, who was a Supreme Court justice. And he got called to come down to the fire. I was on my way to Butler's to play golf. The guy who typically would have covered McKeesport was out of town. And um, so I get, we had an answering service, and I got called, and I jumped. I had a Trans Am and drove really fast and got to the top of, I was, I think, uh, maybe by the Versailles Avenue viaduct, maybe at Union and Versailles Avenue, because I lived up on Duquesne Avenue and came down the hill, and I saw all the smoke. And I went down there. All those pictures of Dave Fowler standing there with the brush fullered and I uh, forget the police chief's name. I was right next to the photographer. And Dave told me this was a firestorm. I remember I used the quote, and I always thought, eh, maybe, you know, but was it? I mean, I'd I would, I would think so, because I didn't see on, there was pictures Fowler had that someone had taken color ones where you could actually see that Market Street where the fire was rolling, right. rolling there. And like I said, again, if it wasn't for the, uh, Memorial Theater wall being there, it would have just kept feeding all the way up, and it would happen just like what you're saying now today at the, in uh, Canada, way how that fire just keeps rolling and rolling through the forest, you know, but you would have had the same thing going through uh, the different business buildings there. It would have happened the same way. Uh, you mentioned earlier that it was a humid day, and it was a yeah. humid day. I remember and, it was and, very and, sunny and warm. But when I got downtown, it was very windy, and yeah. it was from the flames being whipped low into right. the famous and out. If you look at some of those pictures of, of Dave Fowler standing there, you'll see that yeah. flame is kind of like circulating right. there. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how far up Jenny Lynn Street. I think it went well, I, 14th I Street. I paused this picture here, and you look at the figure, you say, oh, it doesn't show anything. This is the Salvation Army. So this is Walnut Street. This is Ninth Street. This is the Salvation Army. And you see building on fire over here, building on fire up here on Jenny Lynn Street. Um, you've got fires breaking out all over town. So there's a fire truck here, ambulance here, fire trucks up there. Um, it was just right. everywhere. Right. And if I can just comment about something else. I, it's, I, I'm so sad that the Daily News is no longer in McKeesport. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to get community together and to talk about stories that, have, you know, that are part of our fabric as a community. And to say that someone recognized that these are all daily news photos, without that sort of thing in your community, you don't have this. Right. Uh, I, I just think it's really a sad day. And I spent five good years at the daily news with some good people. Um, this was one of those events for journalists that you don't have to be called in. You know, it was kind of like 9-11, you 
you know, I, rem I was not at the Daily News then, but uh, um, when you walk, when, when things of this proportion occur, uh, the, um, the juices start to flow in people like firefighters um, uh, who are in the journalism business, storytelling business, just kind of descend on the office and, and ask, how can I help? And I, I think that's what Dr. Ryan did, and I know that there were at least four or five other reporters who were involved in this right away right away and it's trying to tell the story to to the community and I just wish that you all had that still in your city it's sad that you don't thank you no no you thank you anybody else you just want you're waiting for us to sing happy birthday is what you're waiting for <laughs> no as far as the firestorm you know again I was 21 at this time the fires were located downtown, but when Kaplan's warehouse went up, fires were all over the place, okay? And I responded from Trevozburg again to Kaplan's warehouse, and we got off the truck at Kaplan's, and the truck went up Jenny Lynn Street, and then from Jenny Lynn to Versailles Avenue, and they stopped at three or four different houses to put the roofs out. And that's a greater distance away than these other fires are. Yes, it was two blocks away, but from downtown to Versailles Avenue is a lot, you know. So there was a lot more debris in the air. I don't know if it was atmosphere getting it there or whatever, but there was more, you know, sporadic fires all over the city when that happened than this. And we got one more back there? Go ahead. Uh, I grew up in Port Rio. I do remember catching a school bus coming down afternoon and seeing the big fire up by St. John's Church coming down that way. But um, I don't remember too much of the East Port if I'm seeing these photos. I do remember, uh, I did go to church at Holy Trinity, so we would come down to the city. I do remember that Elk building. I do remember seeing that Elk on top of the building, and that's one of the childhood memories. I was just fascinated by that Elk. So it would be nice if we're back here in the East. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I have done some research on this uh, about 10 years ago, um, and I only saw, I, I, you know, the story kind of peters out. Like after a while, the, you know, and, and I was a reporter too, and, you know, people went, moved on to other things, and unfortunately I don't have the answer to that. Whether the insurance companies, whether there was any insurance, if the insurance company was held responsible, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um... I think we're going to wrap up now. Um, there is some cake. We did not expect such a great turnout. Uh, the McKeesport Firefighters uh, Union uh, has donated uh, a really great cake. We've got some cake and coffee. I want to put in two little commercials for you first before you leave. 
Um, if you're in Renzi Park here anyways, I would encourage you to take a walk up to Jacob Wall Pavilion. Uh, the McKeesport Art Group is wrapping up their show this weekend. It is free. Um, they've got 130-some different artworks on display, everything from sculptures to paintings to fabric. Um, I think they've got a, a bake sale and some crafts on uh, sale up there. So uh, please take a little short walk. It's a nice day for it. I think the rain has finally stopped. Um, the other thing, if you are not a member of the uh, Heritage Center, membership starts, I believe, at $15 or $25? $25. $25. Um, this program was free, but in the future we are gonna, probably going to have to start uh, asking a little admission charge for people. So, But that will be free for members. So if you are not a member of the Heritage Center, I would encourage you to, to please grab a membership form. Uh, we would really much appreciate your help. Um, and finally, uh, we've reserved a table for 400 at Tilly's. So you can all go down there right now. No. Um, I, I want to thank these uh, uh, firefighters, Paul Wassel, uh, Joe Matta, uh, Jim McGinty, and I can't remember. Willie Azrap. Willie Azrap and um, uh, Tom Balin for, take, for taking the time to come down here and talk with us. And I want to thank especially all of you for taking some time to, to come down and hang out with us and tell us your stories. That's, it was very important, as uh, Tim was saying, to get the community stories here. So thank you very much. So take care and make sure to grab a piece of cake while it's still there. From TubeCityOnline.com.